pick back up where we've, sort of where we left off. We've been talking about this series, Radical Commitment, but it's really about the Apostle Paul, his emergence. We talked about his transformation from being a fierce opponent of Jesus, an enemy of Jesus, this highly intellectual, learned man who was fiercely religious and fiercely opposed to Christ, was utterly transformed, reorders his life, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then emerges as an early leader. Remember we talked about how the church, for the most part, had been pretty insulated. It had stayed predominantly a Jewish expression, which is how it was birthed. But then somewhere along the way, um, we know that the gospel took root, surprisingly unintended, but it took root in a city. And we'll just put the map back up there, just everybody had the geographical idea of the regions and the places we're talking about. This is real places. The Bible takes place in real time, real geography. And, you know, we, we talked about how that in that city, Antioch, and the, it's the Antioch of Syria there, because there's two Antiochs on that map. Antioch of Syria is, was the third greatest city of the Roman Empire at the time. And the message of Jesus takes root, surprisingly, in the Gentile community there. And so they had a vision um, to, to actually take this message outside the walls. And they selected a three-man three team. In this case, it consisted of Barnabas, who was an, a leader in the early church, highly respected, very positive, encouraging man, who had also been Saul's sponsor when he was you know, still being held in a place of suspicion due to his past. And so we had Barnabas, Saul, and they had a third member of their team, an assistant named John Mark, the one whom the second gospel is named after, Matthew Mark. That's the Mark, John Mark, he's called. That team was sent, we know, you know, for the first time ever, they were blessed to go and take the message of Jesus to the, to the predominantly Gentile communities, even though they would stop in synagogues, because synagogues, one, it had to do with bringing the message to the Jew first, but often there were Gentiles who had attached themselves to these synagogues who were open to the message of Christ. They, they had a, already believed in the God of Israel. Um, they were already convinced that there was something about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they were extremely, you say, familiar already with, with this uh, sort of groundwork. And when the message was given about Jesus, they, a lot of times they were extremely receptive. And so Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark made their way. We talked about it for the first time ever, the gospel goes to sea. First of many, many voyages that will be taken to people who've never heard about them. They go to Cyprus. They, they start at the uh, you know, eastern end of the island, Salamis, and they make all the way, all the way to Paphos. And Paphos, they, we talked about it for the last two weeks. They had this amazing confrontation. First off, they were invited to speak to the governor, a man named Sergius Paulus, a Roman, who had an interest in spiritual things, and he wanted to hear them and what they had to share. They were, then we ha talked about that confrontation that occurs between Elimas, who was his spiritual advisor. It's just intense, powerful moment in which what ends up happening is Sergius Paulus becomes the first Gentile convert that's recorded and a leader, clearly, that ever opens up his, his heart to Jesus because of the ministry of Paul. It was an extraordinary moment. They then had to decide, okay, this is astonishing. We weren't expecting this. God showed up in an amazing way. What do we do next? That was the question. What does the Lord want us to do? And we know that they made a decision to leave Paphos, you can see it, and go up north into a region that was clearly unreached and also a little dangerous, the area of Pamphylia, you can see it. And there's Perga, and what's, what is the area that we call 
well, we refer to it as ancient Asia, the lesser Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That's where they go with the message. But here, something happens before that, and I want to, this is where we're picking up, Acts 13, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at this together. It says that Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship to Pamphylia, you can see that, landing at the port town of Perga, you can see where that is as well. And there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia, and on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. We talked about that. Now, as you're looking at this, there are two things worth noting, right, besides the geographical details that are noted for us, that we can we just read past it and we might miss it. But I want us to notice there is a change in the way in which the team is being referred to as. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul. What is it now? For the first time, it's Paul and his companions. That's actually a shift. Paul is emerging clearly out of this huge moment, he's emerging as the preeminent leader of the team. And this is something that's very interesting because it was seen that Barnabas himself recognizes that the spirit is moving and that's what God is wanting to do. And so he, he seems to just be okay with that. And that's pretty interesting. It tells us a lot about Barnabas as well, that he, even though he was older, he was not a man who had to be the number one guy. And even though that had been his role, it was more about what was the Lord doing? What did the Lord want? And every one of them had seen in this remarkable moment how God had moved on Saul and, and literally used him to, in, a, in, a, in a way that none of them could deny. It was an extraordinary moment. And, and again, that's, we know that this is where Paul then decides from this point forward, he will no longer be called Saul, which was his name that he had grown up with, his Hebrew name. We talked about how that name meant desired. He now adopts first time, absolutely, he will be known from now on as Paul. Paul, meaning little, but it's his Latin Gentile name. And it's almost, some people have said he took that name to honor that first, first convert that came, Sergius Paulus. And it's a marking point. But now it's Paul and his companions. And one of, so we're told that there's a shift in the leadership team. But the other thing that we're told here is that the third member of the team, the assistant, John Mark, decides he's had enough, and he returns to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know the specific reason, but what we do know for sure was that Paul was not pleased. And the Bible is amazingly real when it comes to giving us details and insights in moments that are just genuine and honest. Um, the, point, the, the clear thing that we're going to see is that Paul did not view the departure of John Mark favorably. A couple of chapters later, he makes it very clear Look what, I put this in your handout. This is in Acts 15, and I just want to see, it's like jumping ahead, but it's going to give us a sense of really how he felt. It says, after some time, look at this, Paul said to Barnabas, so this is after they had finished their first trip and were thinking about going, on it, going back for a second time. Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas agreed, and he said, that sounds great. Let's do this. And he says, and let's go ahead and, and let's take John Mark like we did last time. And look what Paul says. It says, Paul disagreed strongly. Another version says, vehemently. And he says, the reason he disagreed, because he says, it says, since John Mark, look at the word that's used here. I could put it in, John Mark, the quitter, all right, as Paul's thinking of him, had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So Paul goes, no, I want to go. You, want, uh, you and me. Barnabas says, that's great, let's bring John Mark. Paul says, there is no way 
I'm bringing Jean-Marc. The guy quit on us last time at a very important time. We needed him to step up, and he, he goes back home. No way. I'll, the word he uses, deserted, that's an intense word. He abandoned us. Paul's clearly upset, right? Well, you know why? Because he understood. Look, some people think it was, why did John Mark go? Some people think, well, it's because, you know, he, he may have not been so happy with the shift, right? That Barnabas was the one that he was connected to. Now, all of a sudden, Paul's deciding, hey, this is where we're going. Maybe he wasn't comfortable with that. Others say, no, um, you know, the land of, that Paul was trying to go into was a dangerous place. It was known that way. The Roman Empire had sort of designated that region as being somewhat untamed. There were some places where it was safe to travel, but a lot of places where it wasn't. It was known, especially in the highlands, to be a dangerous place for sojourners. You, didn't want to, you did not want to be caught alone there. There were, there were bandits. There were gangs of robbers. Um, it was dangerous, and you could lose your life there. Perhaps John Mark calculated the cost and said, you know, I had an amazing time in Cyprus. It was wonderful. I saw God move in an amazing way. He's calling you up there, but that's not my deal. I'm going home. And one of the things that Paul saw it as is you're quitting. You're abandoning us. You're deserting us. We need you. You know why? Because Paul knew this. He understood the principle that two is better than one and three is better than two. In the book of Ecclesiastes, and I know a lot of us know this passage, but it's worth looking at again. Look what it says, because it's a principle of spiritual life and growth. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If all I did was just stop right there, there's never, that is a spiritual truism. It's why we emphasize community and building friendships out of small group context. It's why we say invest. Why? Because when we fall, if we're alone, we're in real trouble. But he goes on to say, likewise, two people lying close together and keep each other warm. But how can you be warm alone? A person standing alone, I love this illustration, can be attacked and defeated, overcome, but two can stand back to back. You cover my back, I cover your back, and we can conquer. In other words, we can prevail. And I'll tell you this absolute truth. At a spiritual level, this is not meant to be a solo journey. It, it, there are too many things out there that will mitigate against our core commitments to Christ that, that will pull us off track. we got weaknesses inside of us. We have, we have areas in our lives that are extremely vulnerable. And the more honest we get about it, the more real we can be with real people who are on this journey together, we can cover one another. We're not always strong all the time. And a lot of times we need someone else to cover. I'll tell you, the relational investment that we can say, look, can I be honest with you? Can you pray with me? I am feeling very weak. I need the forgiveness of God. I need strength. I need a covering. I need to cover my backside. You know, what's interesting is on the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the armor. He's, he says, put on the armor of God. All the armor is for the front. There's nothing on the back. The back's exposed. And the idea of having someone else facing, well, and we're back to back. There's something powerful about that imagery. It's a reminder that we need to have safe places to confess our heart for the encouragement and the strengthening of one another. That there are some things that are too strong or some seasons where we're too weak. You say, well, isn't it just me and God? It is the Lord, but the Lord's grace is often mediated through another. 
and to humble ourselves and to have a friend or two. Because what does he go on to say in Ecclesiastes? It says, look, two is good. Three is even better. It says, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. The stronger the strength in the cord. That's, again, it's, a, it's, it's the value of having others. Now, I know, see, Paul knows this, right? So he's here, think, think about it from his perspective. Here he is, they're on the verge of moving forward with God into a place maybe that he, even he was a little bit intimidated by, right? It was going to be risky. It was going to be dangerous. Um, maybe now more than ever, it was important that they stay, they stay together. It was going to require faith. It was going to require them to, to have you know, tenacity. It was going to require teamwork. And, and on the, on the, right on the heels of, of an amazing way in which God shows up and they're getting ready to jump into something that's even more intimidating, John Mark says, I'm not in. I'm out. I'm going home. You guys go, but I'm out of here. And for Paul, that was really difficult. I mean, he, he had a hard time with it. Um, we know that as he pushed into Asia Minor, I already mentioned this to you, that that was a dangerous place. Uh, people would often travel in caravans because one of the reasons people traveled in caravans is because there was safety in numbers. It was slower. It oftentimes meant less privacy, but you were safe, especially in dangerous regions where there weren't really any you know, presence of law and order. And so Barnabas and Saul, you know, Paul now, know that they're going to be put in some perilous positions. It would have been really great to have John Mark. Also, you know, on this trip, it's also there was also um, a considerable risk for getting sick. One of the, the things that would often happen to people as they traveled in the Roman Empire, and one of the reasons why people didn't live as long, is they would acquire certain illnesses that we now get, um, and there was no medication, there was no antibiotics. So people would acquire malaria, for example, and it was just a matter of, was your body strong enough to overcome it? Some people died, a lot of people did. We knew it became a plague, actually. It became a real problem in the Roman Empire as malaria spread. Many Bible uh, scholars, and I, I use that word many because a lot of commentators I read refer to this as a time when they think Paul acquired malaria on this journey. He will write back to the church at Galatia, you were with me in my illness. We know for one thing that Paul would look back, and I put this passage in there, he would talk about this. This is in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 26 and 27. I just want to bring this to your attention. He says this. He says, in journeys often, look at this, in perils, I mean, look at this, he's saying, in dangerous places, perils, perils of water, perils of robbers. He goes, I've been in perils of my own countrymen. I've been in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. I've been in danger on the sea, in danger among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often. That's forced scenarios where I couldn't eat. In cold and in nakedness. Man, he's talking about a He went through a lot. That's pretty intense. Paul endured a lot for the cause of Christ. He suffered a lot. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. He lived courageously for Jesus. The one he had once hated and despised. He threw himself into it. He said, if he'll have me back, I'll throw my heart into it. And he did. His commitment was radical, it was unwavering, and perhaps that's what made it even more difficult for him when John Mark goes back home to Jerusalem, and it's why I think Paul was so opposed to him coming back the second time, because Paul saw himself as a man fully in, and he saw John Mark as a person who couldn't be trusted, 
It was almost like the old adage. Now, I'm not, look, John Mark may have had a very valid reason, and that's a later discussion. Barnabas clearly did not see things the same way Paul did. In fact, later on, Barnabas and Saul, Paul are going to have such a disagreement over John Mark, they're going to part ways. They're going to still retain a common love for Christ, but it's such a strong difference of opinion. Barnabas is someone who believes in people. He tends to welcome everyone in. That's why he loved Paul. When he was just coming in as Saul, the, the former persecutor, he, Paul was someone who said, if I can't trust you when the heat is on, we're not, this is not going to happen again. It was almost the old adage, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It didn't happen. You quit. You quit when I needed you to show up. You weren't there. And that's a very big deal. It was a big deal. You know, and it got me thinking, and I'm just going to sort of feather this out a little bit because it spoke to my heart. And I hope it touch, touches a little bit of something in you as well. I put this on the board, and I just kind of want to let it settle in. This is just an observation about life that's connected to this passage. But I'm going to suggest that a lot of life's disappointment, number one, a lot of life's disappointment and difficulty is connected to people. And I hesitated whether to put that, because I try to keep these little concepts simple, at least when they're written out. I hesitated to put that last phrase in there when they let us down, people who let us down. I'm, I'm talking about trust injuries. I'm talking about when people who should have stood and held leave. Um, you know, and I, and I say that with an understanding that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm sure at some point all of us have been that person at some point, in some way. Um, we may have let someone down, hurt someone, and sometimes unintentionally, maybe even intentionally. I'll, look, here's two things. When we're the one who's been hurt by someone, who violated our trust or who abandoned us when they should have stayed, that's a very difficult thing to get past. I've watched a lot of people carry this into their life with God. It's like, well, you know, I'm so, I've been so hurt. I have a hard time trusting God. You know, and I get that. Some of us have been on the, and there's a, listen, when we have been hurt relationally and our trust has is, is been damaged, the, one of the things the Lord wants to do is, is, is heal us. And he is the great physician. And over time, he wants to get, make sure that we, we're, the anger that's there, the resentment doesn't turn into bitterness, because bitterness corrupts many, the Bible says. It begins to just, everything in our life is tainted by it. So a lot of times, I was saying, the Lord wants to get us free, right? Because people let us down. Then there are other times where we're, the, you know what I, dawned on me last night, I was, I was thinking about it as I was sharing last night, I was going, Lord, but sometimes what happened if we're the one that let the person down? Because there's a unique kind of guilt and shame that some of us carry because we should have been there and we weren't. And I thought, even there, Lord, I see your grace. It doesn't mean what happened was a good thing, but what it means to me is that you can carry that too. Think about it. Even Paul, he, okay, I get his, what his position is. He's intense. He's all in. He's going, you, if I can't, in the heat of the battle, if I can't depend on you to keep your word, or you're just going to quit when it gets hard, I can't have you with me. This is too important. And I need people who I can depend on. So you're not, so John Mark's not coming. I get that. But you know what's interesting? He had been the guy before. 
And he would even say it. He, he would say, look, not, he would say, I am not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm the least of them. Because you know what I did? He says, I used to, I, I hurt the, not only the cause of Jesus, but I hurt his people. I persecuted them. Their blood is on my hand. And he would say that. And he goes, so it's just the grace of God. Now, he understood that. Think about it. What he was saying was, if God can use me after what I've done, is there anybody beyond the touch of his grace? And I thank the Lord. In some ways, it was a perfect gift. And he would even say it. He goes, you know, my weakness, it's, like a, it's, a, it's kind of a gift to me because it reminds me not to be proud, but to learn that his grace is sufficient because in my weakness, his strength is shown to be more than I need. Powerful truth. Powerful. It was like he got it. He, there was a part of him that understood that in my, in my place of greatest shame, the grace of God has showed up. And it kind of became a check for him. For by grace I have been saved. For by grace you are saved. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift of God. Kept talking about it, you know, and, and, and became sort of like the, the great equalizer in his life that kept him from being proud and arrogant because he was so brilliant. And he was intense, and he was a hard worker, and he was single-minded. And so there was that temptation to become very fierce, and you can see it even here. He's, he's not happy with John Mark. You ruined it. You had your chance. There won't be a second one. You say, what's wrong? I'm, I'm just being honest. The Bible's not trying to sh- sugarcoat it. It's just laying it out there. And I thought, Lord, you know, I was thinking in my own life. I was going, oh, God, you know, I remember, I remember certain moments in my own life where... You know, all of us have different things we work through. Uh, I remember in my own life uh, the impact of, of, you know, just, I was, you know, from time to time. It's not like I lived as a, I feel like I lived as a wounded person because I think Christ really worked in my life. But I do remember as a boy that there would be certain moments because our family, when my mom and dad got divorced and I was just, you know, heading into those teen years. And I, I remember that period. And, and I remember, you know, certain things stood out to me. I just, my mind, I was thinking about, Lord, you know, did I get affected by that in any way? You know, and I, I was thinking about, I, go, I remember one time where I was the first time I was ever going to shave. I, I was 11 years old. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but I do remember it. And I remember, for whatever the reason, saying, where's my dad? And because when I had, and it kind of came back to me because it wasn't that long ago where, you know, our family made a, my wife and I and the kids, the rest of us, we all made a big deal about the first one who was going to shave, right? So we all got in the bathroom together and we watched Caleb and everybody's filming him and it was a great moment. And then he shaved his one hair, right, that he had. <laughs> I'm kidding. But it was fun. And then we celebrated the moment. And I go, you know what? I go, I go, I never had that moment with my dad. Because he wasn't around. But I'm with, and Cheryl and I both came from homes that were like that, you know? And it was complicated. It's not about assessing blame, really, it's not. But we both got to, we, I remember when we both got to the point where we looked at each other, we go, now we're at a place we've never, we, neither one of us has ever seen parenting beyond this point. And I tell people every now and then, I'll run into someone who'll say, you know, my parents, this or that. I said, well, if, if is mom and dad still together? They, they taught you about Jesus and whatever else. Do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how much I envy you in a good way? Now, God was gracious to me in my life, but, you know, some of us have really been wounded by people, disappointed by people, 
Some of us have been the wounders and the disappointers. Grace upon grace. Let grace flow among us. You know, as you say, what are you talking about? I'm just saying the Lord wants to get us better at all levels. He really does. And he wants us to be a people who transmit blessing. He wants to teach us how to do that. How to not how to not simply do what we saw modeled sometimes, but to bless. This, and this reminds me of the second piece here. It stood out to me, at least, and was this, that there are going to be times when everything in us is going to want to quit. A good thing. Because we, we're, feeling, we're feeling like, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I know God wants me to do this. I've said this before, but I think some of us have acquired a habit of quitting when it gets hard. And so we have a drop in, we have a drop back mode. And I call it this, it's called, when it really gets hard and certain buttons are pushed, it's called walk out or tune out. Walk out is, I quit, I'm out of here. Can't do it anymore. And tune out is, I'm present, but I'm already quitting on the inside. And I was thinking about that spiritually even how much the Lord said, don't let that happen to you. He said, don't ever be a person who is going through the motions and then on the inside, your heart is dead. Remember he said to them, he says, he quoted Isaiah. He said, you know, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Don't give me your gifts. If it's disconnected from your heart, I can do without them. It's like intense to me. It's like, Lord, don't help me to keep my heart soft before you. I know I'm getting older. I know now once you get older, you start seeing things in life a little differently. You see things maybe sometimes less black and white, or some people see them even more starkly as a protection mechanism. But what happens is you start to see life's complexities. You see that things are not always just exactly as it appears. You get, honestly, one of the things that happens as you get older, you, you can get cynical, you can get jaded. You can get, you can get to a point where you're just always not seeing the good side of things. And, and you, we've got to fight that thing, man. That is, that's not God. The, the Lord wants, I'll tell you why, because I think a lot of times we get to these places where, Lord, you know, I'm just sort of, I'm doing my thing. I, hey, I go to church, I'm, I'm doing my church thing, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving, I, you know, but my heart, when was the last time we cried? Really, God, our heart was soft before the Lord. When, when, you know, when do we feel his touch? This is important to keep a, a childlike heart in us, even as, we, as the years go by. And then one, again, I go back to what Jesus said. He said, you know what? Don't call me Lord, Lord. Don't, 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 don't honor me with my, your lips. And then, and then your heart is in a whole other place. I need, I need you to love me. I need you to love me sincerely. And, and I, I, I don't want you just to do the religious thing and disconnect it from the heart. I don't want the hypocrisy. I don't. And it's almost like the Lord said, you know what? Look, none of us are perfect. None of us are we are going to make mistakes. We're going to struggle. We all have weaknesses. We all have, we all have sides that are, need protection. I get it. But guess what? God is still calling us to be a people who are, who are healthy and growing, who are becoming more of what he wants to be, who are, who are not just doing the easy thing, which is sometimes to just check out, but are contending 
trying to pursue a life that's going to honor him, bless others generationally, make a difference in our workplace. We're paying attention to our own heart. We're doing the work. We're being vulnerable. We're praying with others. This is what I'm talking about. Because a lot of times it's just so easy to quit. We quit. We may not quit quit, but we've stopped contending. We've sort of given up. I said, okay, I'll never be okay here, so I'm just going to pretend. It's just one of those things in my life that I'll have to deal with. And dealing is one thing, but being okay with something that's unhealthy is another. And the Lord calls us to be a people who are moving towards wholeness in him. And, that's, and the last thing I'll say about it, and this is number three, is that God wants to truly teach us how to prevail courageously in difficult places, how to push ahead in faith and loyalty, especially, listen, when we're afraid or disillusioned maybe even overwhelmed by a sense of our own inadequacy, weakness, perhaps even sinfulness. I don't know. All I'm saying is, or maybe we're just plain tired. But the fact of the matter is he wants to teach us how to endure. You know, when Paul starts listing those perils, using his language, I endured the perils, the difficult places. I learned how to do it. I, he, I cultivated a faith that is strong, it's resilient, it's got fiber. It's not quitting because it got tough. It's not like, God, where are you now? Why aren't you showing up for me? You owe me. I, I did my duty for you. Where are you? And I'm telling you, in those places, it's when it gets hard, that's when the Lord is, you know what I've noticed? That's the, actually, that's the place of opportunity. Because that's when we get to say, Lord, I trust you even when a part of me wants to run away. I trust you when a part of me wants to quit right now and go back to stuff I don't even really want, but I'm tired of it. And in these places, God teaches us that it's not, look, if it's exemption from suffering and problems, then I don't know what Paul was, but he wasn't in the will of God because he went through a whole lot of stuff. He says, but I learned, I learned. I, I learned how to honor him in the difficult places. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say it, you know, it's like the Lord wants our faith to be resilient, be able to, I was sitting in the prayer room and I was going, Lord, you know, I was something I was, this morning, I was just going, Lord, I feel like, I feel like this anxiety, I was, I know, I, I just, Lord, I want to surrender that to you. Help me. Because I know I got, I got to shift my way of thinking on this. Help me to trust you. Just trust you. And I kind of like just, for me, I just said, Lord, here it is. You know, my life is in your hands. I just felt, my life is in your hands. I give you my life. My life is in your hands. There are times where we want to move forward. We're going to have to live in his word. Okay? Travel with others. And then ask God to give us strength and courage to pursue the transformation that He's calling us to and to make the adjustments that we need to make. Be honest about our weakness and make the adjustments. What may that look like? It might look like bringing someone in, contending at different levels. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. Ah, let's pray. Lord, thank you, Jesus. I know what you call us to. You call us to places, Lord, of, of being light in our heart before you. Um, sometimes, Lord, it, it can be, it could be, sometimes it's a challenge, Lord, sometimes. And I know you, you're wanting us to do is you're wanting us, Lord, to prevail in, in ways that allow for you to plant the things inside of us that are going to bring forth beautiful harvest. And and I know that's true. And I know that some of us carry things. Lord, we carry things. And it's all sometimes a battle to forgive, to let go, to trust again. I get that. I pray that you would heal the wounded places. And I guess in my mind's eye, Lord, what I see is 
just the place that's always been the festering infected wound. Would you allow it to heal up and, and be a scar that reminds us of your grace? That, that, that's what I'm asking, Lord. And we all have things. But that becomes a reminder of how good you are, how much you are able to sustain. So, Lord, I just, you know, I, I pray for the remainder of our time. I, I ask that you just be with us in our giving, but also, Lord, in the closing song, in its in this melody, in its words, to remind us that we are to be overcomers in you by your grace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.